when I uh, when I was a kid, I had this sort of strange fondness um, for long form infomercials. <laughs> I was a poor kid. I didn't have a lot going on. But uh, not because I was ever interested in buying anything, but because I found the presentations just so over the top, so ridiculous, right? Knives that would never dull, right? This guy would have some Japanese steel chef's knife and he'd whack on a chunk of steel with it and saw on a rock and cut the rope and then he would take a tomato, right? And slice like a perfect slice, like his hot knife through butter and the knife would never dull no matter how badly you abuse it. You know, ointments that can heal anything. Your acne would disappear overnight. Uh, chamois that could absorb any spill, no matter how large the size, right? One of my favorites, though, was there was these machines. They still sell them, apparently, uh, where they would, like, electrify your muscles. And they would uh, cause your muscles to grow because they'd be stimulating the muscles so much, right? And these ads would, would say, oh, you know what? You don't need diet. You don't need exercise. If you want a six-pack of abs, all you need to do is slap on this machine, and you can just turn on your TV, and bam, six-pack of abs. No problem, right? It all, all these things always seem too good to be true, and that's because they work, right? Knives, no matter how high quality, will always dull. There's no cure-all ointment for your skin. Um, some spills are just too big for one chamois. And you know, I'm sorry, it takes diet and exercise to grow a six-pack of abs. You know, I feel like I've been conditioned uh, to always assume things in this world are too good to be true. If I hear something that just sounds really awesome and really cool and really nice, What's the catch? There's something wrong here. And I'm, I'm sure the world has always been like this, but I feel like we're in an increasingly in a cynical time where we're inundated with inauthenticity, right? We're just receiving advertisements constantly. People are trying to sell us something constantly. They want us to buy their product, buy their idea, do something with what they're giving us, right? Um, and we're just inundated with these lies. And, and it makes us cynical. And anytime we hear anything with any sort of upside, um, for me at least, I immediately smell something fishy. There's something going on here. And if we're being honest, some of these claims that we see in the book of Proverbs can be, seem a little too good to be true. Let's read again uh, today's passage from Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 3, chapter 1, or sorry, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 uh, through 12. My child, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For the length of days and years of life and abundant welfare they will give you. Do not let loyalty and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. So you'll find favor and good repute in the sight of God and of people. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. And turn away from evil. It will be a healing for your flesh and a refreshment for your body. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. These are some lofty claims, right? It's, it's, it's as if we're being promised long life, abundant welfare, good reputation, wealth beyond measure, all for just being obedient to the Lord. And at a surface level reading of Proverbs, Proverbs makes it sound like wisdom or obedience to God is some sort of 
silver bullet to a successful life. That if we just do these things, good things will come about. And it rings a little bit of what we might call today the prosperity gospel. Right? That is this idea that God's desire for us is to live this blessed life. And if we obey him, then he'll give us health and wealth. And I think many of us, we, we look at that sort of theology with a bit of skepticism. When we, and when we hear notes of that in Proverbs, we begin to wonder, maybe is Proverbs promising too much here? And I think we have a good reason to be skeptical. Right? I imagine here everyone has um, a friend who is not a Christian. And I imagine that friend, their life probably is pretty similar to yours. They're in the same you know, economic class. Um, they probably have similar, similar quality of life. They probably have similar health issues as you. I mean, we're, we're compared to my non-Christian friends, they're not much better off than I am. Actually, in some cases, there's times where I've had friends who aren't following the Lord whose lives seem a little better than mine sometimes. You know, it's clear from our own experiences that a faithful life of following Jesus, it does not always guarantee health and wealth. We also know that doing the right thing doesn't guarantee it either. You know, how many of us have worked so, so hard at our jobs and we've been overlooked for a raise or a promotion? How many of us have attempted to be wise with our finances, but we suffer dramatic losses due to some global economic factor that we're just not in control of? You know, I would dare to say that most of us know that there are no guarantees in life. But there's always risk. So then how is it that Proverbs, the Word of God, can seemingly make such promises? You know, even more, if we compare it to another passage we read today, other parts of the Bible are much more pessimistic about life than Proverbs is. Take, for example, the Gospel reading today from Matthew. See, I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them, for they will hand you over to councils and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. When they hand you over, do not worry about what you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you at that time. For it's not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. What a different set of promises Matthew gives us than Proverbs. You know, Jesus makes it clear that following him is a way marked with suffering and hardship. And that is exactly, by the way, what the disciples received because they followed him. His promises here in Matthew, they're not some kind of, you know, hypothetical situation that the church could face if they followed Jesus. These were real historical realities that they experienced. They really were handed over to councils and flogged. They really were dragged before governors and kings, and they were sentenced to death because of the name of Jesus. Now, the concrete reality of the early church, it's not our concrete reality. You know, the concepts to which Jesus speaks here in these days have become much more of a metaphor for us than a, a literal 
uh, fact. You know, we're not dragged before governors and kings. We're not flogged in synagogues, at least not in this country. But we do live in a time where being faithful to following Jesus, it, it, it feels difficult. Especially here, living in New England, following Jesus faithfully can seem to put us at odds sometimes with our neighbors. You know, so the optimism to which Proverbs speaks, it doesn't seem to be grounded in reality sometimes. It comes off as too good to be true. You know, if this is the case, then why would we even try to apply Proverbs? Why have a whole summer series on the book of Proverbs? Why not just throw it out? And even more, why even follow God's commands at all? Conventional wisdom would tell you that if something isn't working, then you should abandon it. Do something else. You know, if you invest in something that is promising 200, 300% returns, and yet you don't even see a complete return uh, of your investment in your lifetime, conventional wisdom tells you you should abandon that and move on. Do something else. So should we just abandon Proverbs? Should we just rip it out of our Bibles and do something else? The answer, of course, is no. And why? There's two reasons. The first is up until this point, what we've been talking about is not how promises work in Proverbs. These are not if-then conditional statements. They may give the appearance of that on the surface, but if we dig down a little deeper and, and we understand what the whole of Proverbs is attempting to do with these promises, we'll see that there's so much more going on than some, simply, some, some kind of quid pro quo with God. Proverbs is not a list of rules and instructions about the specific situations of life and what you should do in each situation. It's not attempting to give us a play-by-play -play breakdown of how to live our lives. Instead, it's attempting to orient us, orientate us to wisdom. These are not promises in the sense that if we do exactly what they say, then we'll experience these material rewards. They're a poetic device. They're intended to show us the beauty and desirability of God's wisdom, of obedience to the Lord. Now, we might still feel a little uncomfortable because it may seem like the Bible is deliberately leaving out the reality of life in order to sell us, in order to sell us on this obedience to God. But when it comes to poetry, less is more. Proverbs is not trying to, to poetically depict every uh, experience a human can have. It's trying to show us that the obedient life to God can orientate us in such a way that we can, in fact, experience His blessing in our lives. The point of wisdom in Proverbs is not to be a tool by which we find wealth and health. Instead, it's the way in which we live as God has intended us to live. The blessings that come from obedience, wise living, is not material rewards, or a long life, or good health, Rather, the reward for the wise, obedient life is communion with God himself. That is the true reward. And when we realize that, it becomes clear that these promises in Proverbs 3 don't run around on the rocky shores of life. You know, quite the opposite, in fact. Proverbs is attempting to orientate us in such a way that while we are still experiencing blessings in this life, sorry, 
Let me say it again. Quite the opposite. Proverbs is attempting to orientate us in such a way that we will still experience the blessing in this life while we are in the midst of suffering. And this brings me to the second reason why we shouldn't just toss out Proverbs. That's because Jesus did it. You know, if you need an ultimate example of someone suffering undeservedly, look no further than Jesus. You know, he's the only sinless person to ever live. And what kind of life did he have? He was poor. He was despised. And he was killed by one of the most cruelest ways possible. I don't think it's an accident that here in the passage of Matthew today, Jesus commands his disciples in this way while they face suffering and hardship. He tells them, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The core of what Proverbs is telling us to do, to be wise, to be righteous. If we have this incorrect understanding of godly wisdom as some sort of transactional exchange where we obey God and God gives us rewards, uh, then we also run the risk of abandoning, abandoning God when things get tough and those rewards don't come about. Now, earthly wisdom would tell you that if something isn't working, then you should just abandon it and do something else. But that is not so with Jesus. Jesus doesn't understand wisdom in this way. He doesn't tell his disciples to be wise and innocent as a way of coaxing God in order to get them out of suffering. Instead, Jesus sees wisdom here as the way through suffering. This is the sort of practice Jesus instructs us to do in the Gospel passage. He says, when he, they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you at that time. For it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. To me, this is the, the ultimate application of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. We're told that when everything is on the line, when we are at our darkest hour, when our very lives are at stake, let the Lord speak through us. How much at that point would be tempting to rely on our own insight in such a situation? We have some very smart people in this room. You know, the amount of education this church has, it dwarfs some other much larger churches that I've been a part of. We're very educated, we're very intelligent, we're very wise. And so for us, it might be more tempting to rely on our own insight in such a situation. To think that we know the answers to the problems we face. You know, often when I'm faced with a problem, my first reaction is to outthink it. I just need to sit down for a second, figure it out, understand what's going on, and I will be able to get through it. But Proverbs is saying, no, that should not be our first reaction. My first reaction should be to lean on the Lord, to trust in Him, to seek His guidance, to seek His insight, to trust Him completely, and to let Him give me the words to say. Suffering, it does not undermine the promises of God. In fact, it's often in the midst of suffering in which we feel God's blessing the most. It's when we lean on Him the strongest. 
If we're paying attention, we actually see that Proverbs 3 is acknowledging that. It recognizes the reality. It's, it's an optimistic passage, don't get me wrong, but it still knows the reality of life. Verse 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing for your flesh and refreshment to your body. Why would someone need healing and refreshment unless they were injured and tired? It's in our injury. It's in our tiredness. It's in our brokenness that we can truly understand what it means to fear the Lord, to trust in Him, to lean on Him in everything that we do. Often when everything in our life is going well, when we're feeling good, and everything just seems to be working, it's easy to forget about the Lord. I'm doing great on my own power, on my own strength, on my own wisdom. And this is why Proverbs tells us at the very end, My child, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of His reproof. For the Lord reproves the one He loves, as the Father, the Son, in whom He delights. Now this isn't to say, the suffering we experience comes directly from the hand of God. But what it's saying is that the suffering that we experience is an opportunity to lean into the Lord, to trust Him more, to live according to His wisdom. So, are the promises of Proverbs overstated because of the suffering we experience in this life? Most definitely not. Instead, the wisdom of Proverbs is the way through this suffering. It is the way in which suffering becomes meaningful now. It is the way in which suffering becomes something that allows us to walk closer to our God. The ultimate example of this is the gospel itself. Jesus' own death. Through God's infinite wisdom, the suffering of Christ became the means by which humanity was reconciled to the Lord. Rather than becoming a further stumbling block for God and his relationship with humans, it became the vehicle in which he redeemed his people and brought them closer than they had ever been before. This is the power and the promise of God's wisdom. And that same wisdom is offered to us in Proverbs, to go and to live according to that. Not as an opportunity for superficial worldly gain, but as a way in which we can walk and step with our Lord, who uses this wisdom to redeem us in the midst of our suffering. Maybe so.